This week we continue uh, what we began last week. Over the next uh, few months, we're going to be looking at the Gospel of Mark, this first gospel, the very first writings we have about the stories uh, and teachings of Jesus. This week, uh, we're still in chapter 1, sometimes in the course of planning for a sermon and actually studying and writing that sermon, the preacher's mind changes. Uh, That happened this week uh, in my planning. I thought we could easily tackle all the verses printed in your bulletin, uh, thus the lengthy reading that we did not read uh, this morning. But then as I studied, I realized that, well, we needed to just focus on those first four verses that Andy just read. Now, on the surface, even these verses seem pretty simple. But as we read through Mark chapter 1 again, we realize how complex these four verses really are. Last week, you may remember, we saw how quickly Mark moves through the story of Jesus. Mark's favorite word, you remember, is what? Immediately, right? This is a fast-moving gospel. Immediately is the word he repeats all the time, joining stories together as we move from one moment to the next. Last week in five verses, Mark tells us the story of Jesus being baptized and tempted in the wilderness, a story that takes a chapter or more in the other Gospels, a series of events that lasted for more than 40 days, yet Mark tells it in five verses. So when Mark slows down like he does in this story and takes just four verses, not a lot, but a lot for Mark, but four verses to tell us about one day, really one moment in the life of Jesus, one walk along a beach, when Mark slows down to tell us that story, we should probably pay attention Now, Mark could have said, in in keeping with the rest of the chapter, and Jesus called four people to follow him. And immediately they went on and healed these people. But instead, Mark pauses, tells us their names, Simon and Andrew, James and John. Then we're told they are brothers, two sets of brothers. All four are fishermen. We're even given the name of of two of them, their father, Zebedee, James and John's father, Zebedee, which is my favorite name in all of Scripture, Zebedee. Maybe we'll have a fourth child so we can name it (laughs) Zebedee. But maybe not. But then we're told that these four men, these fishermen, encounter Jesus. Jesus, whom we just met moments ago when reading the gospel. Jesus, who they probably have yet to encounter. And he walks on the lakeside and Jesus calls And immediately, we are told, first Simon and then Andrew join him. And then immediately, we are told, James and John join him. And they leave their nets, they leave their boats, they leave their lives, and Jesus says, follow me. And they do. That's what we're told. It's not a lot, but it's a a lot from Mark. And it's enough to get our minds going. I don't know about you, but it raises a lot of questions for me. One commentary I read listed out the questions that were already going through my head. Like, what about the businesses they leave behind? They're not hobbyist fishermen. This is what they do for a living. And were none of these men married? Did they not have wives or children and responsibilities at home? What about the commandment to honor your father and mother, as Marty alluded to during the children's sermon? And James and John just leave their father Zebedee to mend their stinking fishing nets and to run the business on his own. What were these four men even saying yes to? And why was that more compelling to follow Jesus than to stay nicely nestled in their familiar routines? 
Surely those questions are lingering in their minds, and I don't know what conversations they had on the beach and from the beach into the rest of their lives with Jesus about these things. Mark doesn't tell us. As far as he's concerned, Jesus calls, and that's enough. They leave everything behind regardless of the consequences and follow Jesus. Oh, on the surface, these four verses, well, they seem kind of simple. But there's much more happening in this story. This story changes the lives of these four men forever. And if we listen, well, it might change our lives too. Now, thankfully, though, the the modern church, well, we've made being disciples of Jesus a lot easier. We've kind of modernized things. There's no more callings from the beach to leave everything behind and follow Jesus. You don't really have to do anything drastic at all or drop anything from your life. Being a Christian really is an add-on, a perk, an upgrade, if you will, to your already decent life. Now, do you want to be a disciple of Christ? Well, keep doing what you're doing, but on occasion you may try some praying here or there. See how that works. Maybe read some self-help devotional books written by a Christian preacher, probably from Texas. <laughs> of course, it's good to show up for worship now and again. A couple times a month would be great. And if you really want something valuable, well, we've got some ministries for you. Of course, well, we need you to give some of your income. That's a given, but, but not too much. But it's okay. It's okay because the benefit of giving outweighs the sacrifice of giving. And if you want to go deeper, well, we've got some options for you. We're recruiting always new board members and committee chairs and members. How about becoming a Sunday school teacher or, as I mentioned earlier, a youth sponsor? If service outside of the church is what you're looking for, well, let's organize a service project. We can do this. Oh, at first, the call to discipleship, well, it seems complicated. Drop your nets, leave everything behind and follow Jesus. But, but well, I think, I think if we organize it a little bit, we could easily add this to our already busy lives. It's not easy, but it's sure not hard. Discipleship, or as Jesus calls it in Mark, fishing for people, is just one more thing we can add to our lives. Let's put it on our calendar. You want to fish for people? Well, how about the fourth Wednesday of every month? Does that work for, for your schedules? Fourth Wednesdays, we'll fish for people. It's busy, but we can do this. Now, last month, uh, I told some of you I started a class with a small group of ministers taught by Tim and Lori Diebel, whom we know. Uh, once a month for nine months, I get to spend a day on their farm, a day that's part light farm work. As some have said, that's, that's how Tim does everything. We pay to do his work, but anyway. But it's also a day of Sabbath, a day of study and reflection, and seeing how the tasks, ordinary tasks really, of farming inform our ministry. The class is called, of course, Organic Ministry. And last Monday, last Monday we did some chores in the chicken yard. And while reflecting later on these tasks, Tim shared with us a parable that I had not heard before, but perhaps he's even shared it with you before, the parable of the Easter chicken. Has he read it to you before? I don't know. But he told us the story. It's a story told by Will D. Campbell, that famous civil rights Baptist pastor who wrote in his autobiography, Brother to a Dragonfly, about a friend of his, a friend who was an agnostic newspaper reporter. His name was P.D. East. 
And every time P.D. East would talk to Will Campbell, he'd ask him how church was doing. But he didn't call church church. He called it an Easter chicken. How's the Easter chicken, he would ask. Every time I saw him, Campbell writes, he would ask, and what's the state of the Easter chicken, preacher Will? I knew he was trying to goad me into some kind of an argument, and I decided to wait him out. And one day, he explained, well, you know, preacher Will, that church of yours and Mr. Jesus's is like an Easter chicken that my little daughter Karen got one time. Man, it was a pretty thing. Dyed a deep purple, bought it at the grocery store. I, I interrupted that white is the liturgical color for Easter, but he ignored me. And it served a real useful purpose, he continued his story. Karen loved that Easter chicken. It made her happy, and that made me and her mama happy. But pretty soon, that baby chicken started feathering out. And, and well, you know what? Them new feathers weren't purple. No, sirree, Bob, that chicken wasn't really purple at all. She was a Rhode Island red. And when all them little red feathers started growing out from under that purple, it was one heck of a sight. All of a sudden, Karen couldn't stand that chicken anymore. Well, we took that half purple and half red thing out to her grandma's house and threw it in the chicken yard with all the other chickens. It was still different, you understand. That little chicken. And the other chickens knew it was different, and they resisted it, pecked it, chased it all over the chicken yard. Wouldn't have anything to do with it. Wouldn't even let it roost with them. And that little chicken knew it was different too. It didn't bother any of the others, wouldn't fight back or anything, just stayed by itself, ready to suffer alone. But little by little, day by day, that chicken came around. Pretty soon, even before all the purple grew off of it, while it was still just a little bit different, that thing was behaving just about like the rest of the chickens. Man, it would fight back, peck. The ones littler than it was, it would peck them, knock them down, catch a bug if it got to it in time. Yes, sirree, Bob, that chicken turned, that chicken world turned that Easter chicken around. And now you can't tell one chicken from another. They're all just alike. The Easter chicken is just one more chicken. There ain't a dang thing different about it. Now, Will pauses in a story and says, well, I knew P.D. East wanted to argue. And, well, I didn't want to disappoint. So I said, well, P.D., the Easter chicken is still useful, isn't it? It lays eggs, doesn't it? And it was what he wanted me to say. Yeah, preacher Will, it lays eggs, but they all lay eggs. Who needs an Easter chicken for that? And the Rotary Club, well, they serve coffee. And the 4-H Club, well, they say prayers. And the Red Cross takes up offerings for hurricane victims. Mental health does counseling. And the Boy Scouts, well, they have youth programs. And Will knew what he was saying. The parable of the Easter chicken, about a chicken that wasn't different anymore. About a church that wasn't unique. He asked him every time he saw him, how is the Easter chicken doing? I'll be honest with you, I wish I would have just run through these four verses of Jesus calling these first disciples, really the first congregation of Christians that we know of. 
On first reading, discipleship seems pretty easy, like going to Rotary or giving to the Red Cross or signing up to be a boy or Girl Scout. But start paying attention to what Jesus says and start following from the beach into the rest of your lives. And well, let's just say it's not so easy being an Easter chicken anymore. Now, Jesus doesn't invite these fishermen to a worship service or to join a ministry committee or make a financial pledge. Jesus invites them simply to follow, to go on a journey. And if you decide to join Jesus on that journey, well, you better hold on. Because Jesus' journey is nothing like modern-day Christianity. This is a journey into a completely new world, a new life. Jesus calls this new life fishing for people. And it may be a lot of things, but one thing it is not is easy. From the moment, from the first moment when Jesus calls, he then leaves from that beach and he starts casting out demons in people's lives. From this place, this point on in the story, Jesus will begin to confront systems that oppress people. He will stand up to societal illnesses that are tearing people's lives apart. He will cross barriers and tear down walls and will sit at tables and attend dinner parties where sinners and tax collectors and the sick and the 'er ne'er-do-wells and outcasts of society will all be sitting as equals together. And his leaders, the religious leaders and the political leaders of his day will very soon begin plotting his demise. To these places, Jesus says, follow me. And we'll become fishers of people. Together, we'll go into the broken places of this world and pull out people from the lives of, that are being destroyed by exploitation and greed and selfishness and addiction and poverty and sickness and depression and all the many faces that death takes in our world. And we will pull them out and invite them to join us on this journey, a journey into life in the kingdom of God. Follow me. Jesus says, and I will make you, every one of you, fishers of people. But to become a fisher of people, it takes more than an hour on Sundays or an occasional weeknight. This is not one more task to add to a to-do list. It's more than a social club, country club, athletic club. This is not nonprofit service or community action. This is discipleship. This is following Jesus. And you've got to give up more than money and some hours on your schedule. As that old hymn says, love so amazing, love so divine demands my soul, my life, my all. On the beaches of our lives. And every moment Jesus is walking. And with loving yet convicting eyes, he calls us to follow. He doesn't demand our allegiance. He doesn't ask us to be perfect. He only asks that we follow Follow where he leads. As the song we'll sing at the end of our service today says, Lord, you have come to the lake shore, looking neither for wealthy nor wise ones. You only ask me to follow humbly. And so Jesus calls and the nets are in our hands. How will we respond?